Well, I don't know about you guys, but I, I love singing these songs. I, I even just like the feel of a Christmas Eve service. Like there's something special about, you know, people in sweaters. We live in California. We have no other excuse to wear sweaters. Uh, I, I like everything about the Christmas season. So, uh, you know, at Thanksgiving, I start playing Christmas music. We get the lights up on the house. Like I, I love the way in which Christmas feels nostalgic. I have all these memories from when I'm a kid. I'm making new memories with my own kids. I, I love the, the sound of it and the smell of it. I love the smell of hot cocoa. And I, 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 don't, uh, I don't hate the taste of hot cocoa. Right? I, like, I like all of that. I love when we come into a Christmas Eve service like this that it feels both familiar and fresh. But I wonder, as I've sort of been preparing for Christmas Eve this year, about the ways in which sometimes the, the warmth and the inspiration and the safety and the comfortability of a Christmas Eve service doesn't almost kind of lull me to sleep. And don't, don't, lose, don't lose me here. What I mean is, I think I hear myself singing songs where, in Christmas music where we're saying, you know, sleep in heavenly peace. And the idea of like rest and peace and almost sleeping sort of becomes so attractive that I, I kind of just sort of tune my brain out a little bit. You know, you can kind of just get on autopilot in the Christmas season and sort of coast. You come into the service, you know probably already what songs we're going to sing. You know I'm going to be teaching out of Luke chapter 2 because that's what we always do. And I wonder if there aren't ways in which we, and I, here I mean me, need to kind of be shook a little bit and woke up because we can be lulled sometimes in the comfortability and the, and the nostalgia and the familiarity and the warmth and the inspiration to kind of just lose sight of what this is really all about. I, I remember one year uh, we were driving to Albuquerque. My grandparents lived in Albuquerque for a long time, New Mexico, and uh, we were driving from Phoenix, which is where I was living at the time. My wife and I, before we had kids, were in a little Honda Accord, and then my brother and my mom were behind us. We were caravanning out to Albuquerque. My brother and my mom were in a, uh, a, a Ford Escort. It was like a 1994 Escort. Escort. It was white with a pink stripe. I tried to find a picture of that ugly car on the internet and they've been banned. So you can't even see a photo of it. Uh, it was the ugliest car I've ever seen. And uh, we're driving. So we drive on the 17 North to Flagstaff and then you turn east and you go on the 40 all the way to Albuquerque past Winslow and Holbrook. And some of you have probably done that drive, but it can be a little bit of a monotonous drive. There's not a ton to look at. It's beautiful country, but it kind of all looks the same. So I'm in the lead car in that Honda and I'm checking in my rearview mirror and, you know, just to make sure I didn't leave my brother in my dust, that kind of thing. He's driving my mom's white and pink escort and uh, he's always back there and then at one point I look up and I don't see my brother's car behind me and what's more further back in the rearview mirror I see a cloud of dust where his car should have been and then I see that white and pink escort in the median that divides the eastbound lane which I was on from the westbound lane and that Ford escort is flipping end over end like this and I looked at my wife and I said I, I think that my brother just drove off the road I think his car is flipping. And so I had to go another two and a half, three miles up the street before I could even get an off ramp where I could turn around and come back. The whole time we're just praying and praying because my, all of our Christmas presents were in that escort. And I really <laughs> was very nervous about losing my stuff, you know? And so we're just praying like, God, take care of our family, of course. And uh, we turn around and we get back. By the time we get there, that, that car had flipped multiple times and landed in the oncoming lane. Uh, fortunately, they weren't hit. But when I finally got there, there were other people who had stopped to kind of help. The car was totaled. The, the back hatch had opened up and all the presents were scattered over the median and all over the westbound lane. My mom, still dazed from flipping in a car several times, is out in the street picking up the Christmas presents. 
And so we kind of had to be like, hey, hey, just forget about that stuff. Like, sit down. You might have a concussion. Like, we need to see, are you hurt? Like, is anybody bleeding? Like, what's going on? And, and it, it sort of woke us up. You know what I'm saying? Literally, my brother had fallen asleep while he was driving, and that's why he had drifted off into that center divider, which was uh, a little bit of a divot. So when the car dropped, it just flipped. Fortunately, my brother and my mom were fine. We ended up uh, cramming everybody into that Honda Accord, and uh, the, the presents were pretty much wrecked, but that's okay. We didn't care about presents that year, right? What we cared about is that our loved ones were alive. That, that event, as traumatic as it was, it kind of woke us up to what was really important and what was really valuable. It was a very helpful tool in my life at that time. When I look at Luke chapter 2 and this story that's so familiar, the story that Smiley's read first a minute ago, this story of the coming of Jesus, it's interesting to me that we don't see Jesus coming to the earth in the midst of a warm, familiar, nostalgic Christmas Eve service. You know what I mean? The heat's not on. The lights aren't up. We see Jesus coming in the dark, kind of. We see Jesus coming in a time that was both politically dark, emotionally dark. we got teenage parents who aren't even married yet, but they're betrothed. We see the drama of that. They've been visited by angels. Now they're being called by the Roman occupiers to go and be counted for a census. So there's political unrest. There's personal unrest. There's emotional unrest. And we see that in the midst of that darkness, kind of, in the midst of that confusion, in the midst of all the fears and the worries and all of the things that probably would have been going through the minds of these young teenage parents, that's where we see Jesus come. And when they come, he, he doesn't come into a life of wealth, right? They don't even have a place to stay. Jesus, it says in Luke chapter 2, is born and they have no place to lay him except a feeding trough that they were using for animals. He doesn't come into a situation of wealth, so there's financial insecurity. There's just a lot of stress, you see, in this circumstance. But I think... For me, over time, I, I start to picture the manger scene, right? Because you have them in your house, or I've seen them at the mall, or whatever else. You picture the manger scene, and the manger scene in my mind, in my imagination, it starts to kind of smell like peppermint, you know? It starts to feel like they probably shared hot cocoa and sang some songs there in the manger. But I'll tell you, the manger didn't smell like peppermint. It smelled like animals, which is not a nice smell, right? That's the environment that Jesus comes into, into some darkness, it says the decree went out that all these people would be registered. And so Mary and Joseph go to be registered. It says, uh, it says in verse 4, Joseph, who also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the end. That's the situation that Jesus is born into, a, a situation of stress and fear and cold and poverty. Not only that, the angels come, right? And they make this great declaration. We heard that in Luke 2 too. But the, but the, the angels don't come to kings, they don't come to the wise. They don't come to religious leaders. They don't come to the midst of a Christmas Eve service. These angels go out in a field in the dark. They go to shepherds who were outcast. Shepherds who were looked down upon in their community. Shepherds who, even when they go to relay what they've seen, are probably counting on the fact that nobody will believe what they have to say because shepherds were looked down upon and set aside. That's who the angels come to to declare this message to people that were looked down upon, who were not listened to. They come to these shepherds who were in their own kind of darkness. 
Not only that, even the heralds themselves, the angels, don't fully understand what it is they're declaring. First Peter tells us that they understand some of what Jesus was doing, but they didn't understand all of it. So there's even a little bit of wondering on the part of the angels. Nobody in this story in Luke chapter 2 fully understood it the way we do. For all of them, there was a little bit of confusion, a little bit of wondering, a little bit of fear, a little bit of doubt. And that's important for us to remember that Jesus isn't born into nostalgia and he's not born into wealth and he's not born into warmth and comfortability. He's not born into inspirational moments like we can recreate in a Christmas Eve service. What he's born into is is darkness. That's why when John, in his gospel, describes the nativity force, he doesn't talk about shepherds. He doesn't talk about wise men. He doesn't talk about any of that. In fact, the way John describes it in John 1, 5, 1, 4 and 5, Speaking of Jesus, he says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's important for us under the lights tonight, and with the warmth of the Christmas songs, to remember that the light of Jesus came to the dark. And that's important because our lives don't look like this normally, right? Most of our lives don't look like a Christmas Eve service. Maybe tomorrow, Christmas may also feel a little bit like this. Warm and inspirational and happy and joyful. But sooner or later, the Christmas season ends and we go back into times of doubt and concern and fear and worry and poverty and grief and broken relationships and hurt and pain. And it's a difficult world. And so it's important for us to remember on Christmas Eve that this environment, as beautiful as it is, as warm as it is, is not the environment that Jesus came into. He came into darkness. Why is that important? Because so much of our lives are lived in that same kind of darkness, that same kind of fear and that same kind of doubt. It is great news, good news of great joy for all the people that the creator of the universe doesn't come to the kings in their palaces. He doesn't necessarily come to the religious leaders in their temples. He comes to outcasts in a field to declare a message to teenage parents who don't know where they're going to sleep one night to the next. That's great news for us because in our lives there's also some fear and there's also some doubt and some confusion and some brokenness. It is in the darkness that Jesus shines his light. And it's in the darkness, the confusion, the emotional stress, the broken relationships, that his light is most easy to behold. You see, in here, I think maybe we kind of lose the beholding, don't we? It all feels like Jesus in here. But in the dark times and in the sad times and in the hard times, The light shines brighter. That's where we have to remember that Jesus meets us there still. He didn't just come in the dark to shine his light 2,000 years ago. He comes to shine his light in the darkness still. You see, the Bible teaches that God knew that we were broken, that we were lost, that we were hurting, that we were in darkness. He knew that we were separated from him because of our sin, which is just our failure. I mean, it feels like a big spiritual word, but sin is just, we were created for a relationship with God. We were created to worship him and we failed to do that, right? We failed to do the thing God built us for, know him and love him. And in that failure, in that brokenness, our relationship with him is, is torn apart. It renders us spiritually dead. God knew that. And he didn't want us to be spiritually dead. He didn't want us to be separated from him. He didn't want us to remain in darkness. So Jesus comes to the earth that night. He comes to the earth and he takes on a body. He lives a perfect life, making himself a suitable substitute, a sacrifice for us. And Isaiah says that the Lord Jesus takes our sin, that our iniquity or our brokenness, our crimes are laid on him. Jesus takes our sin. 
He dies on the cross and sheds his blood. He's buried dead, but he doesn't stay that way. He rises from the dead some three days later. And in so doing, not only pays the penalty for our sins, but he also proves that he has the power to make dead things live, to shine light in the darkness, to bring peace where formerly there was only strife. Jesus comes and by his grace, and only his grace, extends to us that very same resurrection life, the ability to be raised from the dead just like he was. That's what we're celebrating tonight. Not just that Jesus was born, but that he came to shine light into the dark and into our dark, right? That he came to shine light into our dark. And you might look at it and go, yeah, 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 it's good for my parents, it's good for my kids, whatever. It's not, that's not for me. Listen, I don't know who you are or where you're from. I don't know what you're wrestling with, but I guarantee you if you haven't wrestled with the darkness of the world in which we live, it's only a matter of time before you will. And in that moment... I would invite you to look at the light of Christ, to look at Jesus again, not as somebody who smells like peppermint and tastes like hot chocolate, but as someone who comes into our pain, who meets us in our fear, who stands beside us in our brokenness and extends a gracious rescuing arm to rescue us from sin and death. That's what we want to wake up from. We want to remember what's really important. For those of us who are followers of Jesus in this room, I would say there's also an important message for us, and it's this. We still live in a world that doesn't look like this all the time. And even though the light of Christ may have shined into our life, we're going to go back out into our jobs and into our neighborhoods and into our cities. And there are people there who are hurting and broken and scared and doubtful and questioning, and they also need the light of Christ. You know how that light travels now? It travels with a herald, just like it did in Luke chapter 2. Only the herald now is not an angelic herald. It's an earthly herald. It's us. We carry that. That's why in Philippians it says that you and I who are followers of Jesus are meant to shine like stars in a broken and twisted generation, right? That we're meant to shine like stars. We become the glory of Christ reflected. The face of Christ reflecting the glory of God shines out of us. And the last thing I want you to see here tonight before we finish, I've always sort of wondered, I pondered at the fact that Mary ponders. So at the end of this famous section in Luke chapter 2, it says that the, the shepherds hear the angels. They go into Bethlehem. They tell everybody what the angels had said. The angels had said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It says uh, they went with haste, verse 16. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. I always kind of wondered about that. Like, what does that mean that Mary heard what the shepherds said and then they, she pondered it in their heart? Like, what is that? What I realized this year in preparation for this message is that Mary, who'd been visited by angels, Joseph, who'd been visited by an angel, they knew something of who Jesus would be. They knew something of what their role in the story would be, but they didn't know everything. And so there was a progressive revelation, even for Mary and Joseph. It's important to note tonight, the angels didn't come to the manger scene. The angels don't show up there. They might be there in your nativity scene at home, but in the Luke 2 story, Joseph and Mary don't see angels at the birth of Christ. It's the shepherds who do. How, how do Mary and Joseph hear about that? They hear about it because the shepherds who saw the angels carried that message and delivered it, and even Mary, the mother of Christ, pondered in her heart something fresh and new that she had learned about her own child through the, an unlikely source. 
she heard the voice of a shepherd who said, we saw an angel and he said X, Y, and Z about who Jesus would be and what he would do and what this baby, what, what difference this baby will make. And even for the mother of Jesus who was involved in that story already, there were new things for her to ponder and to wonder over that she heard from an unlikely source, these shepherds. Can I tell you, I am deeply challenged by that because like many of you, I feel like I kind of know the Christmas story. I feel like I could tell it with my eyes closed, which isn't hard because it's a thing you do with your mouth, right? We get used to the Christmas story, and yet there is more for us to learn, isn't there? There's always more for us to see and to learn. Never get lulled to sleep. Never get lulled to sleep in the Christmas story thinking you know it all or that you understand everything about who Jesus is or everything that he will do. Because many times, Jesus has more he wants to show us of himself, and that message will come through unlikely sources. We got to pay attention to the outcasts and the strangers, those who are out in the fields, those who may be in darkness tonight, that God is moving in, who will come and share with us the truth of what God has shown them, and then our understanding of Jesus expands as well. We are called to behold, and we behold him both in a celebration like this one and in the darkness. And sometimes in the darkness, that beholding is even easier. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would stir in us a fresh awakening toward the coming of the Lord Jesus to earth, toward both his incarnation, his taking on flesh, and also his atonement, that he would take our sin upon himself and die in our place. The grace of God that extends to us resurrection life. Would you wake us up afresh that we would see your light in the midst of our darkness, that we would understand you meet us there, and we would also be your light, that we would carry your light with us to those who need it, and that we would be consistently, in an ongoing way, listening afresh for new ways you will reveal yourself to us, even through unlikely sources. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.